Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. It's good to be with you guys this morning, those with us here, those with us online. I'm excited what God's doing and how he's moving you know, guys, a lot of times when we get in situations like this, we have a tendency to manage instead of move. And I challenged our team as guys, we're going to move. We, we got, Jesus, Jesus didn't manage his gospel. It was a movement. And that's what he did. And we want to be a church that's on the move. And so that means, guys, we're still going to do outreach. We're still going to do ministries. Um, I know we have Christmas coming up, and we're going to do the Hope Toy Drive, and I know Sean's putting all, get to, getting that all together. You're going to hear more about that as we're going to minister to a multitude of families, especially in this season, this time where they... They need some toys and gifts and families. Some are out of jobs. They don't know what they're going to do. They don't know how to make ends meet. But we're going to engage the need of our community, the need of that. Um, and so you'll hear more as we get into the season. So I just want to put that seed in your heart that you'll be praying how you might serve uh, when, we, when you start hearing about what we're going to do. It's going to be a, a drive-by a Hope Toy Drive. It's not going to be like we normally do. It's going to still be safe, but it's still going to be able to meet the needs of those around us as we're trying to, to minister and, and, and bring comfort and the things to those around us. So just be in prayer about that. Guys, turn to your Bibles, uh, Phi, the book of Philemon, right? The book of Philemon here. It's, uh, it's a small little book right before Hebrews, okay? It's a small little book. You know, it's, I told like to read about just one chapter. We've been kind of digging into it. Um, we're going to be in verses four through seven this morning. And I've been talking about the word profitable. That's the sermon series title. And uh, it came really out of Onesimus' name. Onesimus means profitable. And we'll, we'll look at that next week. But, but the reality is this. Reputation is profitable. Reputation is profitable. Most of you might have been mourning the death of, of Eddie Van Halen, uh, the famous guitarist of the band named after him with his brother Alex. For those who are old school rockers, Van Halen, right? He just passed away about a month ago from, from cancer, Right, But this band had a reputation of being the bad boys of, of rock and roll. And some thought they were arrogant and prima donnas because they stipulated in their own contracts that they were to have M&Ms backstage without brown ones. David Lee Roth would throw tantrums if there were brown M&Ms in the bowl on the backstage. But you have to remember there was a reason why that stipulation was in the, in the contract. They were known to have extravagant concerts, scenes, and shows. They were known for doing that. And so in their contract, there were specific details on how they were to put their rigs up and run their lights and how the electric's going to be in and how that was all going to work. And so what they did, and to assure the fact that, they, that the venue that they were playing at had a good reputation, had good character, had those very things, they put this contract, this thing about M&Ms, right in the middle of the contract so when they came and saw that there was brown M&Ms, it, re it reminded them that, hey, they haven't read the contract. They haven't, they haven't done and checked out all the things that needed to be done in order to bring safety. And so when David Lee Roth would come out and he saw the brown M&Ms, he wasn't getting mad that there was brown M&Ms. He was getting mad that their safety was on the line because they weren't men of reputation and good of character of the venue they were doing. See, this morning, there has to do a lot about our reputation and our character is really important, right? In fact, the word reputation is defined as a belief or opinion that generally held about someone or something. In fact, someone has noted that reputation is what people think of you, while character is what God knows you are. 
I want to say that. Someone has noted that repetition is what people think you are, while character is what God knows you are. We know that man judges the outward, and God judges the hearts. You only have to read the story about how King David was chosen, where men were looking at the outward appearance, where God looks at the inward appearance. But when you get to verses 4 through 7 of Philemon, it really gives us a sneak peek into really the reputation and character of Paul and Philemon as we look at that this morning. In fact, Paul's writing a personal letter to a fellow brother in the faith. And he, he, he opens up first, we speak with the whole family. We looked at that in verses 1 to 3 last week. But now he turns to Philemon personally and addresses his reputation and character. He's not writing to the church. He's writing actually to a person in the church, to a friend, to a brother, to one he's going to share his thoughts about. And I shared that this is a personal letter written by Paul who's in prison right now, writing to a friend that he loves and he honors and he affirms. And we're going to see that this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open up Philemon chapter 1. There's only one chapter starting at verse 4 through 7 this morning. It says, I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers. Hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the heart of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for this morning. We pray for your hand upon our time this morning as we're opening up your word. Father, as we talk about reputations, we talk about the characters of that, we, we talk about what that looks like for us as people that follow Jesus. Yes, there is an outward walk. Faith and works go together. And so we pray that we, as we look at your word, would challenge us, would convict us, would confirm us and things in us, Lord, that are we walking the way you want us to walk with a good reputation, a reputation that's a good testimony for those around us that are watching. Father, though you know our heart, the world is watching us. It's looking at our reputation. And our reputation has a lot to say about who you are. And so I pray your hand upon our time this morning as we just share in the word this morning. I ask that your blessings be upon our time in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be looking at four things this morning as it relates to reputation. Looking at Paul's life, looking at Philemon's life as he's writing uh, this letter to his brother. And the first thing is that, you know, we need to have a reputation of prayer. We need to be people of prayer. In verse 4, it opens up with that very aspect and challenges with our prayer life. It says, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayer. Now, I find it very interesting. Paul is in, really in prison right now. He's in shelter in place for the faith. He's locked up in Rome. Something's in the house arrest here. And he's talking about prayer. And we know Paul is passionate about prayer. You know, when we go to sporting events, which, you know, it's not really happening right now, but when you normally go to sporting events, you always stand for the national anthem. And when you stand for the national anthem, right, you, you stand up because there's this, this protocol that goes before a game. There's this, this tradition that we have. But just because we stand up in the, in, and sing the national anthem doesn't mean we're actually participating in the game. I want you to understand when Paul begins to set some time in a Roman prison to pray, this isn't just protocol in his faith. This isn't just something that he just does because this is what Christians do. No, he's passionate about prayer. 
He's passionate about giving time. He's passionate about spending time with God. In fact, many of Paul's epistles open up in the same manner, making mention of you in my prayers. Many of the prison epistles open up that way as he's sharing to those he writes. Now, we know there's a lot of models of prayer. We know there's a lot of examples of prayer. We have over 300 prayers in scriptures. The most famous one is obviously the Lord's Prayer. You know, when the disciples asked how we're to pray, Jesus gave them the Lord's Prayer out of Matthew chapter 6. But that was a model prayer. That wasn't a mantra. That wasn't something if you say a hundred times or you you pray over beads or you do whatever it is that God's going to answer. That was an example of prayer that we were to follow. But the, the openness of prayer is really about the heart. Some of us grew up with the Acts prayers. I know our kids grew up and my wife taught the kids the Acts prayer. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. These are model prayers that we begin to see as examples to pray. Many of you, I know I've I've been around places and sometimes you have a hard time praying out loud or you have a difficult time praying. But really, prayer is just having communion with God. Prayer is just having conversation with God. Now, sometimes we need to keep our mouth shut and let God speak a little bit because sometimes we have a tendency to ramble with our prayers. That's why I'm in the scriptures that says, you know, be careful of vain reputations. Some of you guys are talkers. I can imagine that Jesus wants to say something to you, but you keep rambling to him. Okay, so, so I just want to take a moment that there is a time to reflect. There is a time to have Selah. There is a time to let God speak to you as much as you're praying. Take time to listen. Because the Bible says in John chapter 10 that the sheep hear his voice. But what you're going to see here is you're going to see some model of prayer as you look at Paul's prayer to Philemon. Some think this is a prayer, even though it's in a letter, it's a prayer. And he begins his prayer with thanksgiving. We see that, right? We know this is the month of November, the month of Thanksgiving. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Thanksgiving month where we have Thanksgiving Day. It's a date we set because what we're forgetful people, so we have to have a day of remembrance to be thankful. You know, but every day is a day of Thanksgiving if you look at Paul's prayer. Every day is a day of Thanksgiving. And so we see Paul opens up the letter with a, with a heart of Thanksgiving, right? Thanksgiving is the tone by which he establishes his prayer. He's setting a, a right heart in, in his prayer, you know what? Paul is thankful. Paul is thankful to God for Philemon and is expressing that. Are there people in your lives that you're thankful for? That you can say, Lord, I thank you for brothers and sisters. I thank you for this person. I thank you for that person. You're just giving offering of praise and thanksgiving. We enter his courts with praise. We enter his, his presence with thanksgiving. We, that's, that comes out of our hearts. You know, I think when we start praying with a heart of thanksgiving, it really sets our right attitude and the right perspective that we give. How can Paul be thankful in a Roman prison? Because an attitude of gratitude really elevates our perspective. When we have a grateful heart and a thankful heart and a praising heart in our prayer, it does something in our minds, right? Giving thanks to God for all things. You know what? Even in this COVID situation, thank you, Jesus. There's something you're working in us. There's something you're doing in us. There's something you're moving in us. There's something you're trying to show us. Don't forsake the difficult times in your life. Be thankful for them because God is doing something there. Paul is in prison when he's writing this letter. How can he have a thankful heart? How can he be passionate about these very things? I think when Paul writes several churches, he talks about this attitude of gratitude. Writing to Thessalonica in Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, he says, rejoice always. Look at the hearts. Pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Guys, when we come before the Lord, we don't come with a grumbling heart. We don't come with an un, uh, uh, unappreciative heart. We come with a thankful heart. Paul's writing to the church here, right? 
You pray without ceasing, without stopping. Guys, we're praying 24-7. Something we, we've got to bow our head when we pray? No, we can pray with our eyes open. I think that's why Jesus told the disciples of the garden to watch and pray, to have our eyes open, right? You can drive in your car. It's okay. You can drive and keep your eyes open and pray, okay? We are to be prayful, rejoicing always, and having a thankful heart. Paul, writing to the church in Philippi in 4, 6, he says, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry, be happy, right? But in everything by prayer and supplication, what? With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Look at the heart of Paul. That's a prison. He's writing for prison to the church in Philippi, to the church in Colossae, who's, who is really where Philemon is. He's involved with this church in Colossae. He writes this, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Do you see the tone that Paul is writing here? I have a, I have a grateful heart. I know Philemon probably has a grateful heart. And he just has this heart of thanks because I think it sets the right tone in our prayer time. Even in our deepest and darkest time, you can still have a thankful heart. You can still have a thankful heart. Because I think Paul, because he had a thankful heart, I think Paul never wasted an opportunity. He never wasted an opportunity. He's chained to a Roman soldier. Being chained to a Roman soldier, he probably had a lot of prayer meetings there with the Roman soldier. Though the Roman soldier may not have wanted that, Paul still had prayer time. And I can imagine that Paul is praying for that Roman soldier. Lord, I'm praying that you be with his family and I pray that you be with him. He probably doesn't want to be with me rambling my mouth. You know what I mean? But I could imagine being as a soldier guarding Paul and you're there, you're, he's hearing Paul's prayers and Paul was sowing faith into that man through his prayer. How many times in your prayer you have to sow faith into somebody? Your, your, your prayer does that. Showing, sowing faith into that. As Paul is in his own shelter and place, he's praying and he prayed specific prayers. You know, maybe you're here today or maybe you're online and you have medical disabilities or, or you have, it prohibits you from getting around people. The greatest ministry you could have in the church is prayer. That's the greatest ministry. Because at home you could pray. I'm asking you to pray for me right now as you're online and praying for our churches and, and praying for our communities. You could do that from your own bedroom or front room, right? That's the greatest service you can have. You know, Paul had this prayer life, he had this faith life, he had all these things. You know, we talk about recidivism. Recidivism is what, when people go to jail and then they end up back in jail when they get out, and that's recidivism, they sell a lot of people 80%. Paul had a recidivism rate, right? He always kept getting thrown back into jail. You know, and I, and I think he begins to what? Hey, it's okay, it's okay. He had his own war room, he had his own war room, he had his own prayer cell, he had his own home to pray. And I believe that's where he, we know he met Onesimus most likely. When Onesimus ripped off Philemon, ran away, ended up in Rome, trying to hide among the crowd, for whatever reason gets incarcerated, probably met Paul, Paul's praying for him, he's sharing the gospel, and he comes to no faith. Maybe Onesimus is answered to his prayers, his own prayers by being in prison. He has a prison ministry going on there. We know that Paul was visited and also was, had people around him who were incarcerated with him. Epaphras here, his fellow prisoner in Christ. We read that in the end of the, end of the book, at the end of the chapter there. He's not only his partner in crime, he's his partner in Christ. <laughs> and he labors fervently for you in prayer, the scripture says. I think, guys, if there's anything that we can pray for specifically, there are a lot of believers that are in prison. People that have changed their lives and give their lives to Christ. We need to be praying for them. That's why Hebrews says what? In Hebrews 13, 3, remember the prisoners have even chained with them. Paul is saying, remember me 
as I'm being changed for the gospel, lift me up in prayer. So we see that one of the reputations as God's people is, is people of prayer. We need to be people of prayer, especially in this season and in this time, we need to be a praying people. Guys, join us on Tuesday nights online where we pray. We just take an hour to pray and you can join us to pray. Pray from your own home. Submit prayers in so we can pray for you. We want to challenge you that we would be a church that prays. That's why we have prayer time like we did this morning so that we could be praying. Sometimes maybe the one 30 seconds on a Sunday morning during church might be the only time you pray. But I want to challenge you to, to take some steps of faith to set some time to take a moment and begin to pray. We see that prayer here is intercessions for the saints. What does that mean? That Paul was intervening on the behalf of others. That's what he's doing here. He's intervening on the behalf of Philemon. I thank my God. And I mentioned you in my prayers. He's, he's, he's specifically saying, I, I prayed for you, Philemon. I prayed for you by name. Philemon, I'm grateful for your service. I'm grateful for your ministry. In fact, the word mention means to remember. I remember you in my prayers always, he says. He didn't just say it one time. He, he, he probably was on a, a prayer list, right? Paul made a habit to pray for his friends. Writing to Timothy said, without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. Not only in the morning, but in the evening. He interceded on so many of his friends. Think about who his friends were. You only have to turn to Romans chapter 16. And that whole chapter is a list a litany, a list of all his friends. And he had a lot, a lot of friends. I would imagine that list of Romans 16 was probably his prayer list. Go back and start, look at it. The names of all his friends. And he's just writing names down. This person and this girl serving, this man who served me. I can imagine he used that list as his prayer list. I want to encourage you to put together your own prayer list of people that you need to pray for. Because James 5.16 says this, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. That's the power of prayer. So we want a good reputation? We need to be people of prayer. I think the second thing, guys, we have the reputation of faith. There were people of faith. And that's what we see here as Paul's praying for Philemon and recognizes Philemon's own faith his own walk with God. Look what it says in verse five, hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. His faith was real. It was legit. Remember that old movie, The Wizard of Oz? You remember Dorothy and she gets tossed in the land of Oz and, and, and she's got to get back home and she meets the three guys, I don't know, the lion, the, the tin man, the, 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 the scarecrow. And they say, oh, you got to go to Oz because... The wizard is so wise and, and he'll have all the answers because one needed a brain, one needed a heart, one needed courage, one needed to get back home. And, and so this was the reputation of the, of the wizard. And so they had this journey. You know the story. And they end up at Oz and they go in and he makes them go on a journey to defeat the witch, get the broom, get all those things. But when it all said and done, what happened? They pulled back the curtain, right? And there's this man talking, this little man talking to this monitor, this little PA system making so big. You know, you, you, you see, you, what did you see here? This, the, he, he discovered he was an imposter. This wizard was an imposter behind the curtain. Let me tell you, Philemon is not an imposter. He's not an imposter. He was a man of integrity. His faith was spoken all around the world, it says in Romans 8. eight. Romans 1, 8. We see that. May, may our faith be seen and spoken of around the world. May God, may our light and our walk be seen that way, Right? Paul heard of the reputation of Philemon's love and faith. I think love and faith are like a tandem bike, right? They go together. They go together, right? 
Philemon had a faith in Christ. That's what we see Paul saying here, right? He was a healthy believer. He, he lived out his faith. He was instrumental in the church. He had a family that served in the church. We, we looked at it verses one through three. But we know that Philemon had a rich saving faith in Christ. He, and we know that he was rooted in Christ. Just study the book of Colossians about us being rooted in God and being rooted in Christ. But how do we come to this real authentic faith? It says in John chapter one, verse 12 and 13, how we become people of faith. It says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. You see a formula here, and I'm not really about formulas, not these three steps and you'll be this, but the formula here is this, believe plus receive equals become. Believe, I believe in God, I receive Christ, and I become a child of God. That's the, the process of faith. That's the step. And that's what the, the author John is writing here, right? Philemon trusted Christ and, and the work of the cross. He, he trusted and by faith he came, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and 10. He came to faith so he can do the work of faith. Uh, we, we see that there playing out. We don't really know Philemon's conversion story. We don't know his story like we would know Paul's story in Acts chapter 9 or Peter's stories or some of the disciples. We don't really know his conversion story. We only have evidence of his faith from his conversion. So many people here, they see, we know we give testimony here. We give our testimonies. Some of you, I know, we only know you on the saving side of grace. We've never known you before that. Some of you, we've known you before that, and we pray for you still. But, um, but the reality is, what Paul is doing, he's affirming Philemon's faith toward the Lord, and that he put his trust in Christ. And Philemon had an abiding faith in Christ. We also know that Philemon had a love for Christ, Right? The evidence of his faith is his love for Jesus. When we come to faith, there's a, there's a heartfelt love for God. There's something that anchors us. In fact, the great commandment was to love God and to love others. That was the great commandment. The Bible says, if you love me, you obey my commands. There was the fruit of love. There was the, the evidence of love. Love is the motivating factor. We see that. Not only did he love God, and he had this abiding walk with God and he had a passion for God. I think that's the key for the believer because the fruits of the Spirit is love, right? That's the evidence of a believer. If, I, if I, I'm, I'm in a relationship with this love of God, I have a passion and love for God. If I married my wife and got this marriage certificate, and that's fine, but I didn't love her, and we just did a transaction because we made a covenant, but not because I love her, it'd be very difficult to honor my wife if I didn't love her. Love is the motivation, Love is what drives us, right? But not only that, he had a love for God, but he had a love for the saints. He had a love for the believers. He had a, he had a love for those that were part of God's family. This agape, self-sacrificing love because he didn't seek the welfare of himself. He sought the welfare of others. That's what love does. Paul is saying, you know, finally, I've heard about your love for the saints. There's something, I'm in Rome. You're in Colossae. We're, that's far, that's far away. You're in, you're in Turkey, I'm in Rome, and guess what? Your testimony is reaching all the way to Rome about your love for the, the believers, your love for the saints. May our, may our love for one another have that same testimony, right? And, he, and what he's doing is, and I know Paul, Paul's, he's a great writer, and he's saying, look, it, just because I heard about your love, now I want you to send out your love even more. I want you to stretch out your love even more because now you're gonna have to stretch out your love toward Onesimus, who robbed you, who cheated you, who ripped you off, who took off, wounded you, right? 
He's no longer a slave, but now he's a brother. You're going to have to receive him. You're going to have to extend love. Extend love. Sometimes that's hard when we've been wounded or hurt or victimized to extend love to the one who victimized us. But that's what Jesus did. We victimized God by our own rebellion and God loved us before we loved him. God demonstrated his love while we are yet sinners. He died for us. He loved us that much. And we've seen that here. We know that 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. We write, and you, you go to weddings. All the, we were at a, Julie and I were at a wedding yesterday, and they read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what love is. But in verse 13, it says this, and now abide in faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Love. The law is summed up with one word, love, a love for God and a love for others. Jesus said, you'll know, they'll know that you're my disciples for your love for one another. Guys, for your love. Faith in love. That's the reputation that the church should hold. Faith in love. Third thing, reputation of generosity. We have to have a reputation of, of generosity in verse six. Look at it, it says, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. There's a show on TV. It's called Hoarders. I don't know if you watched it before, right? Hoarders, it's a real, real show, right? And, and, and they look at normal people on the outside. They look normal, but on, when you go to their house, their house is filled with junk that they cannot part with. In fact, even trash and food, and it's all over the place. And you can't even walk through their house, right? Let me tell you something. Church, we have to be careful we don't become spiritual hoarders. Spiritual hoarders. The, you know, we can hoard our money. We can hold our, hold, hoard our possessions and our time. The, here the word sharing in this passage, the sharing it says there, is the Greek word for we get koinia, which you get the word fellowship or community. But if you search deeper about the, really the true meaning of the Greek, it actually means contribution and communication. God's people should be known for their generosity. Guys, let me tell you something. You, 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 there's, you have to give and be generous with your time and your talents and, and your treasures, even in this COVID situation. Oh, pastor, you know, I'm afraid to get COVID or I can't do this or I can't do that. The early church served those that were sick. They did. Unto death, as, as Pastor Rob shared this morning, unto death. Unto death, we, we are called to serve. I know that the restaurants are closed down or the outside service, but when you go to a restaurant, guys, give a good tip because it's a good testimony. Give a good tip because it's a good testimony. And don't just leave a track and walk away because I know people do that and try to be real spiritual. Get rid of the track. I know I'm not trying to preach the gospel. Give them a good test. That'll be a better testimony than a, than a track, a good tip because they're going to see you praying. They're going to see you talking about Jesus at your table. They're going to see those types of things. And so be careful of that. But how were they generous? How was this church? How was Philemon generous? He was generous with the physical wealth, right? They were, they were generous in their contributions, right? Remember, we talked about how he was a wealthy man and he shared his resources because we know sharing is caring, right? Because sharing is loving. And, and he shared his home with the saints in Colossae, Philemon. He shared his wealth for the work of ministry. He shared his family and, and his time for service. The author of Hebrews says in 13, 16 says, but do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifice, God is well pleased. He's pleased by your generosity. He's, he's pleased by your giving. He's pleased by your sharing. He shared his life with the saints, Philemon did. Paul's acknowledging that. 
He spent time with all the saints. He did life with the saints. He, he was hospitable with the saints. He says, your faith will be effective when you share time with others. That's why this is so important that we stay open. The danger of with this COVID, it goes against God's design of community. God said we were to come together because he knew the importance of community and fellowship. He didn't say isolate. That's the very thing of the enemy that we isolate. More people are dying of isolation than they are of COVID. Mental health, physical health, all those different things. There was a whole story in the news about people not going to doctors for dental or hygiene or other things because they're afraid they can't go because they're going to get sick. And their own physical health and their own mental health and their own spiritual health can be affected by those very things. Guys, the church is essential. We are essential for the work of the kingdom. The church of family is interdependent. It's a joint partnership. We're here together as a family, guys. But what was the root of their, their generosity? Why was Philemon so generous? Why was the church so generous? Paul writes in Corinthians 8, 5, talking about the reputation and the character of Macedonia. Look at this church. It wasn't even a rich church. It was a poor church. It was probably an urban church. It probably was an inner city church. Look what it says this. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. He's talking about the reputation of this Macedonian church. They're being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. Hey, they're feeling that maybe there was a different type of COVID going on. Maybe there was a different type of difficulty going on. But they were filled, but it says they were tested by many troubles and are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed with rich generosity. Joy, the root of our giving, a cheerful giver, right? We know that in Corinthians. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, not only what was in their pocketbook, but far more. They, didn't, they did it of their own free will. They weren't manipulated. They weren't guilt-driven to give. They gave out of their heart. They gave out of their love. They gave their generosity. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gifts for the believers in Jerusalem. There was a need in Jerusalem, and so they took up an offering, and, and they wanted to bless the brothers in Jerusalem. They even did more than they had hoped for. Their first actions was to give themselves but to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So in our giving, the first thing in our generosity is really coming unto the Lord. God dealing with our own hearts in our generous generosity, Right? I think when we understand what God's done and how generous God's love for us was, I think it pours out onto others how generous we're to be to others. But he not only was, not only was Philemon generous in his giving and his resource, he was generous with the riches of the gospel. He was generous in the communication of the gospel. He wanted to share the gospel. Paul understood the power of prayer before preaching. We talked about prayer, right? That was the first point. And he knew that. The early church was birthed by a prayer meeting, 10 days of praying allowed for one day of preaching and 3,000 came. So we know the power of prayer. And so prayer was instrumental in order to empower the preaching. That's why we pray. That's why I have people praying online for me when I, I preach on Sunday morning. Paul is praying that the people would believe in Christ because of Philemon's words. Because of the, the preacher of Ephesus and his pastoring there would minister through their words. Wasn't that the very prayer of Jesus in John 17, verse 20? I do not pray for these alone, talk about the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. Interesting. He's talking about Paul, Philemon, and us. That people, by prayer, we're preaching that will believe the gospel by us, us, our words of the gospel as we share with others. 
Philemon was part of a church that was committed to the Great Commission. Love compelled him to share the gospel. Evangelism is part of our mission as a church here, guys. You saw that when the things come up on our screen here. We're called to fulfill the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel, to go make disciples of all the world, right? Baptizing in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them and instructing them how to walk with God like Philemon walked with God. He had to be rooted. He had to be taught. You know what? Philemon was a new believer somewhere. And now he's matured. Now he's being generous. He's, he's praying. He has a good testimony and he's proclaiming the gospel. Guys, church, we're called wherever we are to tell people how much Jesus loves them and what that relationship looks like as I shared in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Paul understood the power of the proclamation. He understood the power of preaching. In fact, the word here, effective, it says here, he's effective, means powerful. The gospel is powerful to change lives. We have to believe that, right? Let me tell you, you know what keeps us from sharing the gospel? Fear. Fear keeps us, fear of rejection. Fear, I don't know what I'm gonna say. Fear, I don't know enough about Jesus. Fear, I don't know how to say it. I don't know how to communicate it. Did not, was not Paul described as, as weak in words, right? Did not the disciples said, man, they talk like they're wise, but they're so, uh, some uh, uneducated men, right? Some of you don't have, so much you have too much education out there, right? Okay, but that's who God uses to proclaim the gospel, right? He uses the, the simple to confound the wise. He takes the foolish to confound the wise. That's who we are. Paul reminds us in Romans that I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of salvation. It's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. God's given us the spirit. We prayed for boldness. That's what Peter prayed after he was in prison and came out for the gospel. He says, give me boldness to preach the gospel. God, give me courage. That's prayer. Give me courage to preach the gospel. God, put me in situations that I'm really, really uncomfortable with, but I still need to preach the gospel because I know it's you working through me. This word has to, to go out, right? And let me tell you, this ministry, the ministry of the gospel is effective in two ways. First of all, God, we have to understand that God's word is truth. God's word is truth, right? We have to believe that. God's word is truth. It's inspired. It's God-breathed. The entirety of the word is truth. We are sanctified by the truth, and we know that the truth will set us free, amen? It'll set us free. And we know that faith comes by hearing the word of God. So if there's no preacher, how can they hear the word of God? If there's no one to proclaim it, how can they hear the word of God? I, I know Francis, everybody quotes Francis of Assisi, right? When necessary, preach the gospel all the time. When necessary, what? Use words. You've heard that. That, thing, that thing's been abused and used by pastors over the centuries. Guys, we need to preach the gospel. We need to use words. Sometimes I think that's a cop-out, okay? Because there are very moral people out there that don't believe in God. Very good people that don't have faith in God. And so we have to be careful here. The word, the scriptures is reference to the sword. It's a reference to the sword. Hebrews 4.12 speaks of the, the power of the word when it's communicated, right? For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the divisions of the souls and spirit, the joints and marrows, and is the discerner of the thoughts and tents of the hearts. Let me tell you something. The word confronts, it convicts, it convinces, and it converts. That's what it does. That's what the word does. It confronts us. It's got to confront us with our reality. What do we believe? right? It convicts us. What's going on in our heart? It's dealing with our heart, right? It convinces. You won me over. Okay, I believe. And it converts. Now I follow. Okay, that's what the word does. It, it, it does that, right? But I think the second thing here, 
experiencing God and his blessings. When you come to faith, have you experienced the goodness of God? Have you experienced the blessings of God? Have you experienced that? Because I think that's what's going to hold you to in your own walk, right? Think about this for a moment here. Finally, he tested the Lord and he found that he was good. It's kind of play on word. Didn't he taste it? God, God didn't fight him. Did fight him and just bite into Jesus? And, mm, he was good. No, that's not what it means. He experienced God in such a way that it was a blessing in his life. God was doing something in the experience. My, my son introduced me to this dessert. You might know it as mochi. Come on now. Mochi? It's like this ice cream with like rice covering on it. He, we're not, I'm not much of a sushi eater, but he said we went out for his birthday. And he said, Dad, you got to try this thing called mochi. He hooked me on mochi. I'm an I'm a addict for mochi, right? I, I jones for mochi, okay? I said to my wife, you're going to Trader Joe's, get some mochi. You know what I mean? And so, but you know what? I love mochi because I love the taste. I experienced the flavor and the taste of all that is, and it draws me in that experience. Listen, when you come to this relationship and experience with God, he's like that mochi. It's, it's good. It's been good. The blessings are good. The experience of God. God's been working in my life, right? I'm following this biblical Jesus. Wasn't that Paul's prayer that, in Ephesians, in writing for prison, that they would taste it. Check this out in Ephesians 1.17. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of glory of the inheritance in the saints. May you just be like the mochi tasted. Ah, oh, he's been good in my life. I've been walking with the Lord almost 40 years, starting when I was 17 years old. And I've tasted God and he's been good. He's kept me because I know the experience and the goodness of God. That's what he's saying here. Jesus said the same thing to Nicodemus in John 3, right? Unless you're broken in, you can't see the kingdom. Unless you taste Jesus, unless you know his goodness, unless you know his blessings, man, you're not going to walk with him because you haven't experienced that side of God. Listen, what he's saying, Philemon is walking with God because he knows God. He knows the experience with God. And every good thing which is in you is in Christ Jesus. All blessings come from above. That's the goodness of God. And I close with this, guys. Reputation. Paul Lehman had a reputation who refreshed others. Had a rep Don't we need refreshing right now? Don't we need that to, to be refreshed and revigorated? Look at 7. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Man, right? This last week, Brent and Carmelo and I Went up to LA and we had we got a big large donation, and we took the big U-Haul truck and it had this back lift that you go and pull up. But what we didn't do was we had to load all this stuff this donation, and so we're using the lift, boop boop, and it was you know for about a couple hours loading this stuff up. But what we didn't realize is we didn't leave the truck running and it died. The lift went and stopped. Like oh snap, what happened? You know what I mean? And like we had stuff we need to load and. And it just died, and it, it, it just died, and so we had to go get a jump. We had to go get a jump to, to start it up because what happens when you run your car, your alternator is what charges your battery that keeps the car going that energizes you, right? Philemon, Philemon was the was the alternator of the family of God that refreshed others and kept things charged, kept things going, kept things working. Guys, may we be like. Like that, Lord. We may be people that are refreshing and charging and refueling people. Man, I hope that when people say, oh, there's Pastor Pete. He's coming to the house. He's such a downer. Jeez. I hope that when I go to people's house, I can refuel them and encourage them and strengthen and rejuvenate them. I hope my life is like that. I don't want people to say, oh, hey, let's have a party. But don't invite Pastor Pete. He's a, he's a dog, doggy downer over there. You know what I mean? Okay, let, let us be people to refresh us. That's what Philemon was, right? Philemon fostered great joy and comfort to others. We see that here in the passage, right? 
Paul was comforted by jail and in jail by Philemon's story and reputation and character. In fact, the word joy here is the word charis translates grace and grace of speech and loving kindness. He, he delighted even in the life of Philemon. He comforted many because he was gentle soul. He was so refreshing, you know, he was likable and he was a blessing to so many. Philemon loved uh, for others brought great delight and comfort to so many. May we be a people like that, right? But also Philemon refreshed the hearts of those around him, right? We know on your computer, you remember when you get a, you try to get emails and it, you're, somebody sends you an email and you don't get it and you have to hit the, what, the refresh button? Hit the refresh button, right? So they could re-stimulate, redo the work so you can get that email, right? I think we're in this lockdown situation. We need a refresh button. The church is our refresh button. The church is when we gather and get refreshed and get encouraged and get strengthened, right? It restarts us, it revives us, right? Philemon's life often refreshed and revigorated others. He was the refresh button for so many, right? Philemon refreshed the hearts of people. I know 2020 has, has been a year of discouragement for so many. I think many hearts are downcast, right? You would think the shelter in place would have been a good thing being with alone with God, having my devotions, having my prayer. You thought it would be a rest in reality? It was the opposite. More anxiety, more stress, more, de more depression, more violence, more suicide. If anything right now, we need to be refreshed and rejuvenated. <laughs> Tells you when Christ is not the center of that, we, get, we just get drained. Christ needs to be center of that. So here's a challenge. How do we refresh others? How do we do that? You know, when you look up the scriptures, there's a verse, a word that's called one another. There's a phrase called one another. Actually, it's over, it's all, in the scriptures, it's over, mentioned over 100 times in 94 verses. Paul wrote 60% of those one another verses. Here it is. How do we refresh others? As it relates to love, guys, love one another, right? Serve one another. Patient with one another. Bear one another's burdens and pray for one another. That's part of refreshing. Just the love aspect of those things. But as it relates to the unity, because we need so much unity right now in the midst of the diversion, as it relates to unity, be at peace with one another. Guys, we've been, man, it seemed like the church is just doing this when that's not the heart of God. He said, be at peace with one another, accept one another, don't bite, devour, or consume one another, be kind hearted and forgiving of one another, seek the good for one another, not evil, confess the sins to one another. What if you did that? What community will come? when we have unity in the faith with the one another. But how about this? As it relates to humility, right? Don't do wrong to one another, right? Pray for one another, serve one another, be accountable to one another, wash one another's feet. Isn't, wasn't that the example prior to Jesus' death? To serve and honor, to think highly of one another more than yourself? I think, guys, that's how we refresh others, to do the one another's. Research one another in the scriptures, and there's many, many more of them. Philemon was doing that in the church. May new vision be a people that practices the one another's. Amen. May we, may we be that together as a family. So I, I leave you with this, guys, and um, this thought here. Number one, repetition is profitable. Let me tell you. The prayer, repetition of prayer is profitable. Having our time in praying for one another and, and lifting up those. Put your prayer list together of the saints that you need to pray for, the church, the ministries, all the things. Have that time, prayer. Number two, reputation of faith is profitable, right? Love and faith, we talked about that, right? Philemon had faith and love for God and, and for the saints. Faith has to be real, has to be authentic, has to be lived out, 
Faith and works together. Love and faith, the tandem bikes. Remember that? Repetition of generosity. Generous not only, guys, with material, but generous with communicating the gospel. The, the, love, the, most, the best loving gift we can give is the gospel. Right? We're coming to Christmas in a month and a half. Right? You want to give the gift? Give the gift of life. And that gift keeps on giving through your lives. Right? That's the generosity heart, the generous heart that we're called to have. And lastly, guys, reputation is one who refreshes others. May we be refueling to others. May we be refreshing, especially in this season. Text somebody, call somebody, refresh somebody, write a letter, write an email, whatever you need to do to bring blessings and edification on that. Amen? That's what we're called. All these things, our reputation of what we do is profitable. Guys, we're going to close in song this morning. Sorry for communion. We ran out of communion little cups. We thought they were going to be in, and they didn't come in, so we'll have that next Sunday. But we're going to close in song. And, I, and guys, as we're worshiping, feel free to stand, raise your hand, just take some time. And then after, uh, the, after we end the song, Julie and the team will be here to, to pray with you. We want to pray and just refresh you with prayer, refresh you with blessings. Let's pray. Father, in the name is thank you, Lord. We praise you in your name, Lord. Father, thank you that we can gather, we can worship, we can honor you. Pray for your people that are here tonight, this morning, Lord, that uh, they've heard your word, Lord. The Bible says in Revelation, there's a blessing in hearing the word. I pray that the people today would be blessed in the hearing of the word, that their faith has been built up because they've heard the word. And Lord, I pray that even as they leave this place this morning, Lord, Father, that the community of faith here, this community would still stay connected. Lord, I know that we don't do greeting times anymore. And because of this COVID, we got to keep our distance. We have six feet programs. We have all these different things. But let me, Lord, I know that, Father, you've never distanced from us. In fact, you said if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. That was your promise. And so we just want to draw near to you this morning. And Father, we realize that we have our brothers and sisters in the room that need one another. We're interdependent of one another. And so I pray that they would know that, that they're loved by this family, this community, the pastors here, the leadership here. Um, Father, that they're not alone. And Father, if they're having these crazy thoughts or battles within their own hearts, Lord, Lord, I pray that, Lord, you protect the mind and the heart of your people and they would have peace of mind and peace of heart as promised in Philippians 4, 6. And I pray now your blessings upon your people as we worship you and as we honor you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.